In modern times when there is conflict, misunderstandings, or situations of behavior that need addressing, we often hear the term restorative circles. Restorative circles are an alternative way to resolve issues between parties that do not just want to deal with issues in a punitive way, but in a way that restores relationships back to health. God is the one who originates this concept par excellence. In this episode of Groundwork, we will see a God who can finally move towards restoration and hope and how that brings hope not only to Israel, but to us as well. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we have been in this series on Ezekiel. This is the fifth part And we've seen God's magnificent call to Ezekiel. We've seen God using Ezekiel to do object lessons. And we've seen some very harsh words that God is judging Israel with because they have sinned and fallen far away from God. So it's a grim book uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, We move from the great glory of God, but then to the judgment of God on Israel. And uh, we saw right in the middle of this series in episode three, Ezekiel's vision of the glory of God leaving the temple, leaving Jerusalem, leaving Israel. And we noted that the glory of God uh, was promised to return but never did until Jesus came. And then Jesus was the living temple. But there's been a lot of relentless judgment, but a lot of hope and grace tucked in there. And now as we conclude uh, the book, we're going to look at a couple of chapters, Ezekiel 37 and 47, that have some very, very great hope-filled imagery in them. And Daryl, I think that Ezekiel, I'll bet for a lot of people, even faithful churchgoers, is not generally well known. I think if we, you know, unless you've listened to this series of groundwork, if you said to somebody, hey, is there ever a part of the Bible where uh, a biblical figure has to give himself a haircut on the sidewalk? They'd say, no, I've never heard of that. (laughs) Well, that's Ezekiel. But even if you don't know Ezekiel, you know Ezekiel 37. Dem bones, right? It's from the old spiritual, oh, yeah. the valley of the dry bones. It would be very helpful. Just pick up the book of Ezekiel and just read the whole book. Mm. And you can read the whole book in a couple of sittings or in a little bit of a time. But the whole counsel of God is very important to get the context of what is being said. We've only picked a few chapters in this short series, but I definitely encourage you to read the whole thing in its entirety so you can see what God is really saying in yeah. full. It's 48 chapters, but it, it does present a a powerful message, and we've only been able to dip into a bit of it in the five episodes we've had here. But now let's go to uh, chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was on me and brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, and there was breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, 
Come, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. And then he goes on in verse 11, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We're cut off. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel, and then you will know that I am the Lord. So that is the first part of the vision of the Valley of the Dry Bones. It's really powerful, Scott, to read this over and over again, just to allow God to speak. And the image is powerful to Ezekiel as well as he's describing it. I think metaphorically speaking, it's important for us to note that sin in and of itself destroys. So the dry bones illustration is a metaphor to me of how sin depletes you, deteriorates you and takes away from you. We even hear verses in the New Testament that talk about the wages of sin being death and when mm. sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. And that the dry bone situation is the state that they're in because they've been running away from God for so long. Yeah. Sin brings death. Sin brings destruction. And unfortunately, Daryl, in the last century, we've been able to visualize this valley of the dry bones because unfortunately we've seen it in real life, right? Yeah. We've seen Buchenwald and Auschwitz and and you know, vast fields of dead Jews murdered in the Holocaust. We've seen the killing fields of Cambodia, bones and skulls just stretching out across the valley. Terrible scenes from Rwanda years ago. We've seen these scenes of dead bones and dead people. And the human answer to the question, can these bones live is no. Absolutely not. No. Now, Ezekiel doesn't say no. (laughs) He says, only you know, Lord, because Ezekiel knows These bones are dead and they're dry. He even says they're dry. They've been out here bleaching in the sun for a while. Can they live? No. But, oh, sovereign Lord, maybe you can do something. And then Ezekiel sees the vision that he does. And that brings me to the second point, Scott. There is a miraculous intervention that God can do to bring dead bones back to life. Mm. And he does that in this prophetic vision. He does it in the lives of the Israelites. He does it in the lives of us. And I, and as a pastor, as a, a one who used to preach every Sunday, we literally could see what God has done in people's lives when the word is being preached. And then when people pick up the word at home and they study it, they can feel something happening in their hearts because God is bringing something alive in them based on the word. And I've seen that in very, very many examples. And wouldn't the special effects people in Hollywood have a good time (laughs) using a little CGI to uh, do this scene of the bones and starting to rattle and they're knocking around the bones and all of a sudden bone to bone and and then muscles start coming in and then the skin comes in and eyeballs reappear. It could almost be a little grotesque. Actually, it might gross some people out. This is a miracle that maybe we could uh, reproduce in CGI special effects in a Hollywood movie, but only God could make it happen for real. And the key here is a hark back to Genesis. What does God do when he makes Adam? He breathes breathes into him, and that's what gives Adam life. And here he, he puts the breath back in the skeletons, and once that happens, they come alive. Only God can do this. And he does it for his glory. 
we represent God and everywhere mm-hmm. we go, we represent Jesus everywhere we go. And when we're sending, we're taking his name through the mud, but he's actually bringing restoration to Israel to bring his name out of the mud. Exactly. So he is actually going to bring na- glory to his name and he's going to restore it so that he may get honor. And only God can help us and bring us back from being beyond repair because our sinful nature literally destroys us to the point where we can't live. So he needs to be the resurrection and the life in our lives. And we will see in the next segment how God continues to encourage Israel. So stay tuned. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. I'm Scott Jose, along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork, and we're in Ezekiel 37, Daryl, the best-known chapter, maybe the only known chapter to a lot of people, from the biblical book of Ezekiel, the Valley of the Dry Bones. You know, people sometimes say, are there previews of Jesus' resurrection from the dead in the Old Testament? And there isn't really a lot. I right. mean, there are a few things, you know, like from Job, where he says, you know, he will, he will restore me, he will raise me back in my own flesh. I will see God. There's a reference in Daniel uh, that makes reference. It sounds like a resurrection. And certainly in Ezekiel 37, when God says, I'm going to open your graves oh, yeah. and bring you back, that is resurrection. Uh, that ultimately, of course, comes to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. But there's some more stuff in Ezekiel 37 that's maybe a little less known than the bones part. And we want to look at that, too. Starting in verse 15, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take a stick of wood and write on it, belonging to Judah and the Israelites associated with him. Then take another stick of wood and write on it, belonging to Joseph, that is Ephraim, and all the Israelites associated with him. Join them together into one stick so that they will become one in your hand. When your people ask you, won't you tell us what you mean by this? Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in Ephraim's hand and of the Israelite tribes associated with him and join it with Judah's stick. I will make them into a single stick of wood and they will become one in my hand. Hold before their eyes the sticks you have written on and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them and they will never again be two nations or divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with the idols and vile images or with any of their offenses for I will save them from all their sinful backsliding and I will cleanse them. They will be my people and I will be their God. So again, another promise of restoration and an interesting one here. Because we've noted in this series, Daryl, that the 
kingdom of Israel after Solomon split. There were 10 tribes associated with what we call the northern kingdom and then two tribes, uh, what we call collectively Judah. The 10 tribes in the northern kingdom were wiped out by the Assyrians and basically kind of never heard from again. Right. Whatever happened to the 10 tribes after the Assyrians went through, they just seemed to disappear. Judah continued on for a bit longer before Babylon conquered them and then took the people into captivity. But here God says that somehow he's going to get all 12 tribes back together. And we got two sticks one representing the northern kingdom, one representing the southern kingdom. And God says, sort of like a magic trick, put them together, make one stick. And that's going to be the united Israel, a promise of strong restoration. And for the Israelite that is on his way to exile, that is big news. For mm. the Israelite that's sitting out in exile, that is big news. You mean to tell me we're going to be strong as we were before when King David and King Solomon were leading and we're going to have one big nation? That is a, a word of hope in the middle of a desolate situation. Things like these cannot happen unless God intervenes. This whole vision of how God brings the breath in to bring Israel back alive and how he is going to miraculously bring these two countries back together, it's going to happen because God intervened. And I think about intervention. It used to be a show called Intervention that I used to love watching where there's this family member who is destroying themselves. They're going in a way, maybe addiction of some sort. They're destroying and hurting their own lives and they're hurting the family members around them. So the family members would actually have an intervention meeting where they would confront this loved one and say, hey, you're hurting yourself. We want to stop you. We're trying to help you here and we need to intervene so that you don't go down this path any further. And that's exactly what God does in the history of Israel. He does it in the hearts and the lives of our lives because if we didn't get an intervention from God, we would definitely continue on the road to sin as well. And of course, the people will somewhat understandably take this eventually rather literally and politically. Ultimately, this is going to happen through Jesus, of course, who will be the new Israel. And now the church is the new Israel. So you really don't ever get a political Israel back. But God doesn't need to get a political Israel back to fulfill the promise of these two sticks becoming one stick. And in fact, God goes on in Ezekiel 37, verse 24, my servant David will be king over them and they will have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors live. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers. I'll put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, made Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. So obviously, this isn't the literal David. And I right. can't imagine anybody thought David's long dead and buried, right? Uh, you could visit his tomb. This is the Messiah. This is the Messianic David. This is the heir of David that God promised all the way back when David was still alive. Somebody in the line of David would sit on the throne of Israel forever. And now this Israel, through the ultimate son of David, Jesus, is expanded to include all people. And you know... Israel heard this loud and clear. So whenever they had somebody who was rising up to prominence, they were mm. like, is this the one? This be the is one? this the person? And even when Jesus was here, the disciples were asking him, is this the time you're going to restore Israel? Because right. they were still looking for David and Solomon 2.0. But <laughs> actually, the kingdom that 
he has, that Christ has, is not of this world. And the way he had brought in the kingdom, inaugurated the kingdom, is the spiritual way he did it. And it affected the hearts and the minds of the people. And I really love the fact that God knows our situation would be completely hopeless if he didn't intervene into it and help us out. And the fact that the restoration took a different shape than the people might have thought is not a bad thing. It's a good thing because this is how God has built a new spiritual house in the church, which is the body of Christ. This is how God has fulfilled the promise to Abraham that through Israel, all the nations of the earth would one day be blessed. God was never thinking small. He had to start small with just Abram and Sarai, this childless couple. Sure, he started small, started with Israel. And, you know, Israel, even in its heyday, was no Egypt. (laughs) It was no Phoenicia, no no Babylon. Uh, Israel was always kind of a middling-sized nation, even in the ancient Near East. But that's okay. And even when Jesus comes, it's like, talk about starting small, a kid born in a barn to to impoverished parents. This is the hope of the universe. But yeah, it is. It is. God starts small, but builds something big. And in fact, Daryl, in just a minute, we're going to turn to Ezekiel 47, and we'll see an exact image of God starting small and then getting big very fast. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And we are now going to go ahead. We've been looking at Ezekiel 37, again, the best-known chapter in Ezekiel to most people, the Valley of the Dry Bones, but also, as we saw, lesser-known, where God has the symbol of the two sticks becoming one stick of a restored Israel, and we know that that's going to be ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. But now let's go, Daryl, to Ezekiel 47, the second to the last chapter of the book, where God gives Ezekiel a very interesting vision centered on the temple, a new temple in a new Jerusalem. So picking up at the first verse of chapter 47, it says, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around outside to the outer gate facing the east and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, 
do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river, and when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. And when it enters into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be a large number of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river goes, everything will live. And then jumping down to verse 13, this is what the sovereign Lord says. These are the boundaries of the land that you will divide among the 12 tribes of Israel as in their inheritance with two portions for Joseph. You are to divide it equally among them because I swore with uplifted hand to give it to your ancestors. This land will become your inheritance. So an interesting vision, Daryl, of the new temple uh, in the future, in a new Jerusalem that God is showing to you, Ezekiel, right at the end of Ezekiel, right at the end of the book. And we start out with a trickle, just, oh, yeah. just a little trickle, like a drinking fountain, just a little trickle of water. And doesn't look like much. But next thing you know, it's like become a whole sea. And wherever the water goes, it brings life. It even turns the dead sea into the alive sea. Love it. Yeah. It's beautiful because this is actually a picture of a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God who remembers that he made a promise to Abraham way back. We talked about this in another episode where God made a promise that he would make Abraham a blessing and that He would, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. And it's really powerful to see that this passage is actually God being reminded and he's reminding Israel, I made a promise. And it also echoes to me, we have the full counsel of God through Revelation it reminds me of the river of life that happens in, in Revelation where the water is flowing through the city and there's a lot of good things happening there. So it eventually will be fully consummated at the end of all things. Exactly. But I love the littleness. I love how it begins with just a little trickle, just a little bit. Doesn't look like much. Doesn't look like it could do anything at all. It couldn't keep a geranium plant alive with that little bit of water, right? And that, that Daryl, is just so typical of God's MO, if we want to call it, his modus operandi, the way God operates, Abram and Sarai, you couldn't start smaller than that, right? right? And even, you know, Israel was never that big of a nation and so forth. And then ultimately, of course, we're going to get to the Son of God uh, born as a baby. It just doesn't look hopeful. <laughs> it just doesn't look big enough. And we always want something bigger, right? And yet out of the littleness of Abram and Sarai eventually does come Israel. And out of Israel eventually does come Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. It's just an amazing thing. A friend of mine who preached a sermon on this one time also kind of connected it to the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper. You know, we usually just have yeah. just a little cube of bread and just a little dram of wine or juice. Doesn't look like much. Doesn't look like a meal. <laughs> Couldn't feed anybody for long on this. And yet, out of that little sacrament is all the fullness of Jesus. And you know what's really powerful to me is that I feel pretty small and I feel mm, pretty ordinary. Yes. And God is still in the business of taking small and ordinary things and doing extraordinary things with them. All through the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, he continues to use small and ordinary things like sheep, gate, door, like a staff in your hand, Moses, or bread on the table or ravens or whatever it is. And, and, and I love that he can use our own lives as these testimonies unto him as seeds planted as water as little trickles that happen to turn into a river that 
points people back to God. I love that. There are no unimportant people, right? There are no unimportant people in the church or in God's creation. God can and does use everybody. You know, even someone who ended up doing so much good that she gained worldwide fame, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, she always said, I'm just a little pencil in God's hand. You know, that's all I am. I'm just a little pencil in God's hand. And God does indeed take all of us little pencils. We're all little pencils. But when the hand of the master, the artist of creation grabs us, he can draw and write great things with our lives. And I think as Ezekiel concludes here, that's a great encouragement for all of us that salvation may look like it starts small or maybe our witness to a coworker looks insufficient, but from the little trickle can come the mighty sea. From the little sacrament of the Lord's Supper comes all the fullness of Christ. The original mission that God had given through Abraham is that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Israel. And he is bringing them back to that mission at the end of this book in Ezekiel. He's making sure they remember you were called to be an inheritance. You were called to be a light. You were called to be a witness that all of them may know who God's name is. And then we pick that up in the New Testament when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. It is our call to be lights and to be witnesses. And God restores us so we can do that. And he has indeed done that because we're never alone. And if we go to the very end of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 48, verse 35, it's the last verse of the whole book, Daryl. God takes Ezekiel in a vision to the new city of Jerusalem, and he shows him like a plaque. There's like a plaque on the city gate, and it says two words, Yahweh Shammah, the Lord is here. That sounds a lot like Emmanuel to me, Yes, God with us. God restores his people. He has restored us in Christ. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We hope you'll join us again next time as we continue to dig deeply into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. We have a website, groundworkonline.com. Please visit the website and share what Groundwork means to you or make suggestions for future Groundwork programs. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. We're your host, Daryl Delaney, with Scott Jose. Our recording engineer is Dot Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacobs.